As always, if you, uh, if you need us, we're always uh, available to you guys. So just let us know if anything comes up, you need some help, we'll be around. Um, so I got a great lesson for us today. I'm going to, it's a spoiler alert, if you have a child in this room that, that believes in Santa Claus, they may want to leave the room. If you believe in Santa Claus, let's talk after service. Okay, so, uh, just kidding. So I, I wanted to give uh, you some Christmas cheer, because it is, it is, it is uh, Christmas soon. And so I wanted to get, just to give you some um, information on, oh, you know what, I didn't, pl- I didn't plug in this one. On who Santa Claus is, you know, when I grew up, it was Santa Claus. I really and I really believed in Santa Claus because, you know, uh, one day we went to my relative's house and my mom and dad were together and they're with us. And I came back and and, and I came back that night. We all came together at the house on Christmas Eve, and there was a bike under the tree. And I knew my parents didn't do it, and my dad doesn't have many friends, so I figured Santa Claus is real. And I had that bike, and I would tell my friend Santa here to know what it was really Santa Claus. So Santa Claus is coming to town. Uh, if you got a magic elf, I actually have one. I got one. At, I got one at Costco. He was there. They're all hanging out. I told my kids they're in a special cage at, in Costco because you know they're afraid they might they might leave the area, so they have to keep them kind of trapped. And so when you grab one, the manager has to come and give it to you because it's a very magical elf. So I told my kids that um, this last week. They didn't believe me, but I told them anyway. <laughs> this is Santa Claus. This is the prototype for who Santa Claus is. His name is Nicholas of Myra. He was actually a Christian. Uh, and he, he is the, the, the reason why we have a Santa Claus today is because a man of God decided to follow Jesus many, many years ago. He was born in 288 AD in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Asia Minor is where Ephesus is at, Laodicea, a lot of great Christian communities are in the, in the Bible in the book of Acts. Colossae, remember that, is in Asia Minor. So he was born in Asia he, uh, it's modern day Turkey, of course, and he was known as a kind man. He was known to give you gifts and secrets, and he put coins in your shoe. If you left your shoes out of the house, he'd come by and leave some coins in your shoe, you put your shoe on, and there would be a coin there. And he was kind of famous for, uh, uh, for doing that. He was a protector of children, and also he was a protector of sailors, because he himself had come from a fishing family. So, Nicholas of Myra... He became the most popular Christian in Europe. Hopefully you can see that. Me. Can you guys see the, the, the end? Oh, there it is. There's the end. Uh, he was honored. Uh, they honored him with a feast day in Holland. The, the, that country, the Netherlands, decided they were so enamored by his life, his, what he's done, what, how he helped people, how he helped children, how he protected people, that they actually gave him a, a day of celebration and that day, they exchanged gifts on December 6th. It was called the Feast Day of St. Nicholas of Myra. And so, uh, the Dutch would call St. Nicholas. They would call him Sinterklaas. St. Claus, St. Nicholas. Sinterklaas was the way they would say his name. And so, when the Dutch came into New York, when they immigrated to our country, they honored St. Nicholas and the whole month of December became a month of Sinterklaas with celebrations, gift exchange. It was pretty awesome. And you're benefiting it today. Yeah. So, uh, a guy named Clark, uh, Clement Clark Moore, he wrote the famous play, Twas the Night Before Christmas. In 1822 he wrote that. 
He was an Episcopal minister, and he wrote this poem for his three daughters that forged the modern-day Santa Claus. In that poem, he writes about tiny reindeers. In that poem, he writes about a, a man wearing a wool court coming down the chimney. And so in that poem, which was just a poem for his daughters about, about St. Nicholas, he kind of set the prototype for these magical reindeers and a guy in a sleigh flying from home to home. And it was kind of the, the, really the, the kickoff to what uh, we would now know as Sinterklaas became Santa Claus. And so in 1881, a political cartoonist made this sketch drawing of what we see today as Santa Claus with a funny little hat. He's got like a, little thing, a little thing in his hand. He's got a white beard. He's white. There is his clothes. And so that became a famous picture. And he's smoking a little, uh, little pipe there. You don't see Santa doing that nowadays, huh? But back then, that was the Santa Claus that they drew for Santa Claus became Santa Claus. And so that is how Santa Claus came to be. It started with a Christian who dedicated his life to God. And the impact that he had on people was astounding. Just think about your life for a minute. How you behave. How you interact. How you conduct yourself. I'm telling you, people notice when you are the real deal. When you're honest when you're upright, when you mind your business and live a productive life, people notice. In fact, just last week, I don't really tell people what I do. I, I hate telling people what I do for a living. I try to avoid it as best I can. Because once I tell them what I do, they stop cursing around me. They get all weird. They get all, oh, they, get all, they start changing. Yeah. Just be who you are. Say every wicked thing in front of me. And I'll still like you. It's not about what I do, so I never tell them. So people find out that I'm a minister. And they find out by, you know, another person. I don't know how they find it. I think Karen probably tells them I'm a minister or something. <laughs> so, and so I, I like just to interact with people because I want them to know I'm just a regular guy like you and me. There's nothing special about me. And so uh, one day uh, I was uh, finishing a soccer practice with my team. And one of the parents came up to me and says, hey, Gio, I heard you're a minister. I said, yeah, that's, that's what I do. And he's like, man, I'd love to come to church with you. And I was like... Why? I, I'd love to have you. You know, he starts falling down for a second, stumbling. You're like, what? You want to come to church? And so, uh, yeah, he wants to come to church. And uh, I was thinking about it. Why? You know, he's, he's probably the third person that's come up to me and has done that in, in my school, in my, in my soccer team. And I think they've just become aware of, you know, your, your, who you, you are, your convictions, how you treat people, how you interact with people. And it really, it, it makes a difference. And it makes a powerful difference. So don't think for a second that just because you live, you're a Christian, you feel like you have no impact. You have an impact. You have an impact. People notice how you live your life. And there is our, our pro- prototype for Santa Claus there. So now we're going we're gonna to finish our story of why St. Nicholas was so inspired. And he was inspired by the birth of Jesus and finding out about him. So we left our story at, at, uh, last week that... Herod had killed all the children of Bethlehem. And so, here's the, here's the continuing story. Just to recap a little bit. The wise men came to the house. They didn't come to the manger because they were two years late. Because they were following a star. And they took a long time to travel. And they were awesome guys. And they came to Mary. They gave them gifts. They brought them gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. Because Herod acted like he was... Uh, 
He was a spiritual person, but he really wasn't. He was a political leader, not a spiritual leader, even though he was called the king of the Jews. So there were the wise men. We talked about them and the magi and the history of them and all civilizations. They have them. And they were one who uh, honored Christ that day. This is Herod the Great. It's not, that's not really him. It's just a, a modern day picture of what he, you know, what he, what he might have looked like. He was born in 74 BC. He's the one that killed all those children. His father was appointed by Julius Caesar, the first emperor of Rome, to be the procurator of Judea. And so he was born into that family and he kind of ruled the areas of Palestine, starting in Galilee. And in 41 BC, he was appointed by Mark Antony. If you don't know the history of Rome, Mark Antony was, was, was Cleopatra and they were fighting against Octavius, which was the day of two emperors, and they went to battle. And there was this big battle called the Battle of Actium in the, in the sea. And Julius Caesar, uh, I'm sorry, Mark Antony and Cleopatra lost the battle. So Mark Antony uh, kills himself, Cleopatra kills herself, and there's Herod who aligned himself with the wrong guy. And Octavius, who really, really becomes Caesar Augustus, and this guy's pretty savvy. He goes back to Caesar Augustus, and he kind of warms up to him and says, Hey man, my bad. I'll be loyal. I'll collect your taxes. I'll do whatever you want. And so Augustus makes him the, uh, the, the, the guy in charge, the king of the Jews, in the area where Jesus was going to be born and called Palestine. So that's a little bit of history of Herod the Great. He was a great um, guy that liked to think about building stuff, and he built all kinds of incredible architectural design. But he was tyrannical, he was brutal, he was insecure, and he was uh, paranoid. And so here are some of the, the areas that he ruled. He started in Galilee where he ruled, and he ruled all this entire area. He was from this area right here, where he was a mix of a Jewish person and a non-Jewish person. So the, the people of Jerusalem and all the surrounding areas really didn't like him because he wasn't a full-blooded king of the Jews, so to speak. So he had a hard time uh, managing his position. And so that's who he was. That's sort of what he looked like. This is the area that Rome, the Roman Empire ruled. And here is obviously the area where King Herod is at. And this is where Caesar's at. Obviously a lot of, lot of distance to travel. And so the, the, the Roman emperors wanted to make sure they had quality guys that were involved in Roman politics out in these outlying areas to do one thing, to make sure you paid your taxes. That's one thing Rome was good at. They made sure you paid your taxes. If you didn't pay your taxes, you'd have a hard time living there. They would come after you. Okay? Not only was it, was it hard for the regular people of God, not only did Rome tax you, but they ta the temple also taxed you. And they overtaxed you. And they made you pay extra for your dove, extra for your lamb. Anything you had to do spiritual, you had to give extra because not only did Rome want it, but also... Herod the Great wanted the money too. So he had a personal treasury. So that's why they worked in cahoots together. So here is Herod the Great. He left his first wife and child to marry this full Jewish woman to become the king of the Jews of the area. Uh, when a high priest was very popular, uh, the, the priest was found drowned in a two-foot uh, level of water. Uh, uh, the, the historians believe uh, Herod the Great killed him because he was uh, getting too popular and, and might uh, usurp his authority. He got angry at his wife that he married when he left his first wife, and he strangled her to death. Um, and then he had two innocent sons killed because he was paranoid that he might, they might kill him for his throne. And then on his deathbed, he killed his third son, who was actually really corrupt, so he killed him. And then, uh, and then furthermore, on his deathbed, he wanted all the noble people of Jerusalem to come to his funeral and then be killed at his funeral so, that, so it would appear that they were crying for him. And so, thankfully, uh, they didn't obey that order at the end when he was dead. So the, all, the, all the statesmen of Jerusalem survived. But there was a threat to kill them. 
but uh, the next person in charge didn't allow it. So this guy was ruthless as you will get. This is the same person that was threatened by the birth of Jesus, and he killed all the children in Bethlehem, the town of Bethlehem, uh, who, who threatened him um, with the possible being the king of the Jews. So this is the history of Herod the Great. He was a disturbed man, and he died a painful death. And this is Bethlehem here, the excavation. And this, this, is, this is where the scriptures uh, continue the story. So when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take this child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. God protects his son by letting Joseph know to go to Egypt. Why Egypt? There was a strong Jewish contingent community there that they would be safe. So it wasn't like we were going to a foreign land. Foreign land, yes, but they had friends there that were Jewish, and there's a big community there that they can stay. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. That's a quote out of Hosea 11, verse 1. Interesting here about uh, when Herod died. Herod the Great died in 4 B.C., so that puts the birth of Jesus either at 6 B.C. or 5 B.C. So the calendar that you know, but Jesus was born at 0, is actually wrong. Just wanted you to know that. So he was born in 4, I'm sorry, 5 or 6 B.C. because Herod died in 4 B.C. And so here is the, here is the scriptures that are fulfilled, that proclaim the, the Messiah to come out of Egypt, and he eventually does to go to his hometown. So when Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And you know what happens when he's furious? He strangled his wife last time he was furious. He gave order to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity where, who were two years old and under. It's important because that's, that's, that's in accordance with the, with the time he learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophets, Jeremiah, was fulfilled. So he had figured out with the Magi, the star, this kid's about two years old. I'm going to snuff out every two and under. Now just think about that for a second. Think about how cold-blooded that is. But that, think about how God protected Jesus in a dream with Joseph. And so this was a, a, a prophecy. Uh, this was a prophecy about uh, the, the, the mourning and the screaming and the wailing a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Uh, it is a, uh, a, uh, a quote out of Jeremiah 31. Uh, this was when the Babylonians uh, conquered Jerusalem. What they did with the infants is what they grabbed the infants by the feet and they would dash them against the rocks. Because when they traveled to Jerusalem, to Babylon... It's a long road, and you don't want to really want to be caring for a lot of infants. It's, it's, a, it's just the logistics is crazy for Babylonians. Let's keep the young men who will work in our fields, but the babies we really don't need. And so what they would do, as the psalm would say, happy are those who seize your infants and dash them against the rocks. It was a brutal society. And so the wailing that happened here is equated to the wailing that happened in Jerusalem, I mean in Bethlehem. Just the mourning and the wailing. And I want to ask you for a special prayer for a friend of mine who's a disciple. His son is going into surgery tomorrow. His name is Tori Dozier. Tori's been serving at youth camp, and he works with the youth ministry in the Turning Point ministry. 
He's been doing that for over seven, eight years. And his son is going into surgery tomorrow because he has a, a defective heart and lungs. And he may not even survive the surgery. If he does survive the surgery tomorrow, his life expectancy will be up to 10 years. So I just want to ask you if you just uh, make some room today uh, in your prayer for, for Tori. His son's name is Zion. If you pray for him, uh, that uh, God would just work powerfully and uh, at least he'll get some time with his son, 10 years at least. Or if the Lord wants to take him t- tomorrow at surgery, that's, that's fine too. Just pray to comfort that family during this time. There's going to be a lot of weeping potentially. So that's the Babylonians. Now the Assyrians uh, uh, were another people that, that conquered uh, the northern part of Israel and they would interbreed. So the Babylonians, they tried to, re- they tried to convert you to their, to their society. That's where Daniel the prophet came out of, um, out of the Babylonian ca- captivity. So that just kind of the, the map there. When they took them from this area of, of Judah, they had to go back over here to uh, Nineveh, Babylonia, Babylon. So the travel distance is huge. So in their minds, they're like, we want to get rid of any baggage that's going to slow us down. And that ended up being infants. And so that was kind of the, the thinking of that society at that time. You know, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And he said, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. And I really, I'm inspired by this because, you know, sometimes as a disciple, as a Christian, you lose your ability to dream when you're in a tough situation. When you have hit financial crisis, a, a, a family crisis, the last thing you're thinking about is a dream that's going to be uh, helpful to you coming out of your situation. And I appreciate God appearing to Joseph. And he appears to Joseph over four times in a dream. I don't know why, but he does. And, he, and, and Joseph gets up and he does what God tells him to do. And sometimes you get inspired to do something great for God. I want to encourage you, do it. Don't wait for someone to tell you to do it. Just do it. If it's to help somebody, go do it. If it's to encourage someone, go do it. Your dream may be crazy to others, but if it's in your heart and it's in the scriptures, go and do it. So he got up, he took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. Now, it's interesting, it didn't say Bethlehem, it didn't say Jerusalem, it didn't say Nazareth, it just says go to the land of Israel. So, in one respect, it was kind of left up to Joseph to where to go. And I think God does that. He says, he says in a general way, go to the land of Israel. Well, what, what do you mean, God? What city? What town? Where do I live? Sometimes we want to tell, we want to ask God, give me specifics. Can you be a little more specific, Lord? But sometimes God is not specific because He wants you to deduce what's best for you. Here's, where, here's the principle. Go to the land of, of Israel. But you're going to have to decide where you live. And God many times says, here's the principle. You're going to have to figure out all the specifics. But here's the principle. Be, a, be in the land of Israel. So, does that mean Bethlehem? Herod's dead. Does that mean Jerusalem? Could be a better job. Does that mean, where does that mean? So, but when Joseph heard that Archelaus, the son of Herod, was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Well, that explains a lot. It's probably, I'm not going to go to Bethlehem if he's there. Because the father, you know, he might be a little crazy. So, so Joseph made a decision based on who was, who was in charge, who was the leader there. Having been warned in a dream, 
he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said to the prophets, he'll be called a Nazarene. Now, Nazareth is very, has a very interesting history. There was a, there was a Roman garrison that was stationed in, in northern Galilee, and it was stationed near and in Nazareth. And Nazareth, because of that, were considered like uncommitted Jewish people. You're wishy-washy. You're in, you're in coots with the Romans. That's why when Nathaniel sees Jesus, he goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because the society thought, if you live in Nazareth, you're not really a Jew. You're just uncommitted. You're in coots with the Romans because you're shady. So here was Joseph's decision because he couldn't live. He decided a two-Jewish life because Archelaus was there. He decided to kind of withdrew and he lived in a town that was kind of like a 50-50 town. Jewish and Roman. And he, they can, he can kind of hide in there. And it's interesting that he selected that town. But the scriptures said that the Messiah would actually spend time in that area. And that's why all the prophets say he'll be called a Nazarene, meaning he'll be in that area. So what should you do? What should you do when you sit here and read about the, the story of Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem? What should you do? Well, there's a couple things you can do. You can listen to God too, just the way Joseph listened to God. He was told by God in a dream. But you can actually listen to God by reading your Bible. By reading the Bible, you actually get direction from God. And when you start to obey the words of God, you start to really start living the principled life that He wants you to live. Some things are very specific in the Bible, but not everything is applicable in the Bible. Like you'll read some stuff that doesn't apply, but there's a principle there that can apply to your life. And if we were to, to, to take the principles of the Scripture and apply them to our lives, think about the change it would create in your legacy of your family. Just how Sean shared. Sean has an opportunity to start a new legacy with his kids. A new legacy, a Christian legacy. And they will notice the difference. Yeah. Kids see fake Christianity and real Christianity. If you don't know, if you have kids that are 8 and 10, they will tell you. They will be very blunt with you. And so we have an opportunity to decide how we're going to live our lives. What kind of end of the year you're going to have? What kind of new year you're going to have in 2014? By reading the Bible, listening to God's words, and obeying some specific things, but also deciding, hey, there's the principle. How am I going to live this out? Because there are principles in the scripture that are not specific. But when you apply them to your life, God lets you figure out how to figure out those little details about how to live the Christian life. As we look back at this guy here, Joseph, where he decided to live and raise his, his family. Joseph disappears from the scene, actually, very shortly uh, in time. Up to uh, Jesus' life, we don't hear from age 12 to age 30. You don't even hear about Jesus. He's gone in scripture. He's like... I mean, people say he like disappeared. In fact, he didn't disappear. In fact, what, he, what, jo, what, what Jesus actually did was Joseph must have passed away. And so he took the responsibility as the firstborn Jewish male son to take the role of the father and take care of the family. So he did that up until he was 30, and then he started his ministry. He actually did the honorable thing and fulfilled what his father didn't do because he passed away early. That's where, that's where Jesus was at. He wasn't in India 
on some mystical mountain, go aum, aum. He wasn't doing that. He was actually at home with Mary, taking care of his, his six brothers and sisters, because Mary had more children. And so that was a lot of responsibility. And, and Jesus did that, and then he started his ministry later on in his life, which is admirable. And I, I just wanted to give a, a special notice to Joseph and the quality of, of man he was. And if you're a man this morning in this room, it's a good example to look at Joseph, a man of God, a man who it was challenging to be asked to raise the Son of God. It was challenging to travel down to Bethlehem uh, 90 miles to get registered for the taxes. It was challenging that someone was trying to kill your children. It is so challenging and dangerous. And if you're a parent, you know how dangerous our society can be. And so a father needs to be the leader, the spiritual leader of every home. Not a tyrant, not I'm the boss, but a man with humility and self-sacrifice and servanthood, but he keeps his family aware of the principles of the Scriptures. That's what men ought to do if they're a Christian, is to lead their families in that way. Lead them in the example of humility, of love, of encouragement. And I want to charge you during this Christmas holiday to think about the birth of Jesus and what difference did it make in your life? What decisions will you make because of what you learned? about Jesus. Santa Claus is coming to town, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure he's going to have a great time at your house, but Santa Claus does not save. Jesus does. So I want to encourage the men to make sure that if you have children, spend time with your kids and teach them the meaning of Christmas. Teach them, they want to hear it from you. That's what kids want to do. They want to hear it from dad's mouth, not from Gio's mouth, but from your mouth. They want you to tell them. They want you to be with them. Yesterday, Jaden dragged me to the snow. I didn't want to go to the snow. So I'm like, come on, Dad! Let's do it! And I'm thinking there's going to be this massive snow in Simi Valley. I'm like, they got snow in Simi Valley? So I was like, he's like, come on, Dad, let's go together. And I, and I took care. No, I'm not going. You go. I'm going I'm to work on the lesson and be spiritual. <laughs> and, and so Jaden comes in and says, I want come on, Dad. You've got to come with me. You've got to come with us. I'm like, all right, I'll go. I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. And I got there, and it was a big old tree, and... A little bit of snow. <laughs> so I was like, oh man. But after a while, it, it, I, I, my heart was changed. Like, yeah, this is awesome. This is great. I got a few snowballs and chucked it in a little area. And, uh, and what, 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 I, what I took from that was like how our kids are hungry for a relationship with their father. They're hungry. And, and I'm aware that that will, that will dissipate. In, in eight, nine years, he's not going to ask me to go to the snow. That's going to leave. He's not going to do that. Our relationship, he, he becomes a man. My time with him is short. And so it just reminded me of the moments I have now with your children. Take advantage of the time. Amen. Take advantage of these holidays. Make them special for your kids. Help them to cherish and remember things about you they admire. Show them that. And it just reminded me again how much our kids want to be around their mom and their dads during this holiday. Have a great Christmas. I may have to leave for vacation a little early. Enter early. It's awesome.